faith has always been a part of football. And I think the reason why is because football is the one sport of the major three that's the most like real life. Basketball and baseball have guaranteed contracts. So nothing's, there's no guaranteed contracts in football, okay? And in real life, nothing's guaranteed. Um, in football, every single play could be your last. Um, on the daily basis, people know like, you know, they, if they make one mistake, they could lose that job opportunity or they could not get in that college they want to. So there's a lot more guys, I think, that come into a football building every single day that are relying on something. Yeah. They're searching for something. There's not that cushion of, okay, I have a $100 million contract that I know is going to get paid, so I can have two bad seasons, but this will take care of me. In football, you have one bad season, you might be cut the next day. You might be gone. You get injured, you might be done playing football, period. Uh, I remember my dad used to always have this saying, you know, there's no atheist in a foxhole. And the reason why is because when bullets are flying, you know, whether you know what you're attributing what you're attributing your faith to or not, most of the time you're talking to somebody. That faith is, is being stirred up in you. And so um, I would say, man, football, man, these guys are in the foxhole. Everybody in the, in the National Football League does not make millions of dollars. I would say the vast majority don't. And then even the guys that do make a million dollars, that money isn't usually sustainable for the rest of your life. When you get done playing football, you have to be able to do something else um, as opposed to what it's like probably for some of the other sports. And so with that real outlook in football, I think it causes more guys to ask questions. It causes more guys to say, hey, I might need to lean on something that's not finite, that's not external. And uh, I think that's where you have the opportunity to pull a guy aside and say, hey, you know, there's a, there's a love and there's a relationship that's performance-free. I know you've been on this performance wheel your whole life um, where, you know, you have to work in order to stay on the team. You have to work in order to get the coaches to like you. You have to work in order to stay healthy. Um, but, but I know a guy who doesn't care if you're healthy, if you're sick, um, if you sin 10 times today, uh, nothing can separate you from his love. And so to be able to give somebody that type of security, um, guys want that. Guys need that and they're thirsting for that. And so I think um, that the state of it is guys are hungry, guys are thirsty, and we just need men like, you know, some of the guys, the Eagles, man, Carson Wentz, like he's been, um, you know, I'm even seeing young guys like the quarterback in Clemson, you know, and Tua. Both of those guys are very vocal about their faith. Dabo Sweeney, so we're seeing on the college level, even the coach of Vanderbilt, um, Coach Mason. And so just being able to reach out to, go out to guys and being like, hey, you know, I know that it may seem like there's not a lot of hope all the time in this football thing, but there's a hope that, that, that you can hold on to that's going to last far beyond this career. And so um, that's, that's what I think uh, makes me most excited. Well, good morning. Welcome to Football Sunday at St. John's. My name is Pastor Tom. I'm up here with my friend, even though we're wearing very different colors, Rob. Um, let's welcome Rob, because um, I threw this at him just a few minutes ago, actually. Um, the guy who you saw in the video, his name is Jordan Matthews. He's wide receiver for the San Francisco 49ers who are playing in today's game. And our tradition here at St. John's the last several years has been to connect faith with football on Super Bowl Sunday. We've done a simulcast message in the past. This year you've got the video we just watched and there's one more video at the end of my message and in between will be a message in our series on fear. But before we get into that, I wanted to share just a few football jokes um, in case some of you have some plans. How many people are going to spend some time with family or friends later today watching the big game? Show of hands, so maybe you can bring these along. I do have to say I don't appreciate our welcome team leaders asking me not to greet today. They said something about my outfit. Um, 
no joke, first service, one of the ladies came in and she was wearing um, a Green Bay Packers um, outfit and she gave me a hug and then she saw what I was wearing and she said, I have to go home and take a shower. Um, <laughs> didn't appreciate that. But, um, but actually, Rob, um, yeah, you, I told you about a gift I got recently, right? Oh, yeah. So I heard that you got two Bears tickets from your wife. I did. Wasn't that awesome? She's a yeah. Packer fan and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. She was taught right. Yeah, well, I don't know about that. The problem was I got these two tickets. I left them on my, the dashboard of my car, and somebody broke into my car. But when they saw that they were Bear tickets, instead of taking them, they left two more. Sounds about right. Sounds about right. <laughs> what's the, Rob, what's the difference between the Green Bay Packers and a dollar bill? I don't know. You can still get four quarters out of a dollar. Oh, I'm sorry. That one hurt. That one hurt. That one hurt. <laughs> but uh, I think I got one to top you. So where do you go in Chicago if there's a tornado? I don't know where. Soldier Field. Because... That's where no touchdowns happen. Oh. Well, let me give you a, yeah, no, no, you don't have to clap for that. No, no, we're going to move on. <laughs> what do you call 59 people sitting around the TV watching the Super Bowl? The Green Bay Packers. Oh, is anybody going to clap for that? Okay, a couple of you. Let's give Rob a hand, because like I said, I lobbed that one at him just this morning. You can be seated. <laughs> Thank you, Rob. Let's open up our Bibles and join together in God's Word. It's in Genesis 4, page 3. If you didn't bring your own Bible, then you can join us in the one in front of you. And if you don't own one, take it home. It's our Super Bowl Sunday gift to you today. Uh, Lord God, as we're opening up your Word, we pray that the faith that you've instilled in men like Jordan Matthews, God, would, would tie us together in this place. And God, that, that your presence would bring out of your word the wisdom and truth that you would have for us to hear today, that we might be drawn closer to you when we leave than when we came. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Genesis chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to God. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, as I said before, today's 
Football Sunday, and what better topic to talk about, really, than envy, right? Maybe, maybe you're envious of your friends who are 49ers fans, and they've been rubbing it in the last couple of weeks. As, as a Bear fan, let me just say for the record, I'm just happy that both the Bears and the Packers are out. My wife is a diehard Packer fan, so our house is divided. It makes everything more peaceful in the DeGroote house when neither team is playing. But maybe your envy comes from your neighbor's who are watching the big game on an even bigger TV than you have, or that buddy at work who always talks about their college kid who's been playing college football on a scholarship when your kid never made it past the peewee league. We've all experienced envy, and it, it leaves us feeling anxious. It leaves us feeling afraid that, that we're not good enough, that what we have isn't good enough, and, and that's what we're going to dive into today. As I said, we're in this series called Fear, and we're going to specifically talk about the fear of missing out. Because that's what envy is. It's the fear of missing out. We're afraid that because somebody else has something else, that, that there's something bigger and better than what we have that, that we're not going to get. And, and some people would say that this particular fear is more prevalent now than any other time in history because of things like social media and marketing technology and all of that. And, and I'm not sure if that's true or not, but the circumstances aside... As we look at the root source of envy, we can find that this is something that can be traced back to the very beginning. Not just the source of it, but also the curse that it puts on every human being who allows it to rule their life. There's a curse of envy, and I'm going to share that with you this morning. Our reading is from Genesis chapter 4, and it's a familiar story between two brothers, Cain and Abel, the first two brothers after Adam and Eve. And there's actually very little detail that's given to us about their story. And, and I say that because I think it actually makes it easier for us then to put ourselves in the shoes of either brother and see how this might apply to our lives as well. Now, both men came from the same parents, Adam and Eve. Um, I'll tell you, if you don't know the first three chapters of, of the Bible, God didn't place like a special blessing on Abel and not on Cain. It's not like they, either one was cursed at the beginning. It's not like the parents played favorites with their sons. They were both equal sons, equal parents, all of those things, and they just began to live their respective lives. And we see that in verse 2. Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions, from some of the firstborn of his flock. Now, with such few details, we, we really got to chew on what we do have for a minute. Abel takes care of animals. Cain takes care of the land. And there's a lot of people that jump to the conclusion, with so many of us have heard this story, that we just assume that God must like animals more than he likes plants. And, and maybe that's because you like a good steak more than you like salad, you know? Like, you got to think, what's my reason for thinking that? Or, or maybe it's because I've looked at the Bible and I've seen these animal sacrifices, and it must mean God likes that more. But, but I just want to point out the, re the fact that that's not inferred in this story, that none of that is suggested by the author, which means that we can only assume that both brothers are doing something equal, that their vocations are equal. It doesn't mean that if you're a crop farmer, you're not as good as a, a dairy farmer or whatever. God likes both. God doesn't love animals more than he loves plants. And both brothers brought what they have before the Lord as an offering. And yet the story continues, verse 4. Now that you know that, 
It says, The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Now, why? If it isn't that animals are better than plants, why is it that Abel's offering was favored by God, but not Cain's. And, and this answer is actually very simple if we look at a later part in the Bible. The New Testament, the writer of Hebrews gives us the answer. In Hebrews 11.4, he says, By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by, say it with me, faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. There's one difference between the gift of Abel and the gift of Cain. It is this word right here. What is it? Faith. It's faith. Faith is the difference. The difference has nothing to do with the substance of the offering. It has everything to do with the faith in the one who gave it. I'm going to say that again. I think that's really important. It has nothing to do with the substance of the offering, but it has everything to do with the faith of the one who gave it. And so we could stop right here, and I could use the rest of our time together to give you a, a nice sermon about how to give a faithful offering to God and to give him your first fruits and to trust him and all of that. And I would love to give you that message. I would love to tell you that story. It's a good message, but unfortunately, it isn't the story that's told to us here in Genesis 4. The emphasis is not on Abel. The emphasis is not on how he felt about giving a faithful offering. It's on how Cain felt about his brother giving a better offering than him. He was angry. He was downcast. In Genesis 4, 6, says, The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? For some reason that we're never going to fully understand, Cain's offering wasn't right. His heart wasn't right. His faith wasn't right. If faith was not in the gift, maybe it's because it wasn't the first fruits. I don't know. And you hear that a lot in the Bible, first fruits. Like, why is that important? The reason it's important is, is because if you give God what you have left after you've taken care of everything else, that doesn't require faith. What requires faith is taking a portion of what you've been given first, giving that to God, and then trusting that God is going to take care of you for the rest. And so maybe that's the reason Abel's offering was accepted and Cain's wasn't. But again, we don't know for sure. What we do know, and what I find fascinating, is how Cain responded and then how God responded to Cain. Look at this. God looks at Cain and doesn't punish him for giving a less faithful offering. He says, you know what to do is right. He's like this parent, right? Like any parent who's had more than one child has had the same conversation with their child over and over again. Like, like here's Cain looking at Abel. He doesn't like that Abel has done something better, right? Who has something more. He's feeling envious. And so God pulls Cain aside and very lovingly, very parentally says to Cain in a very holy way, mind your own business. <laughs> like, that's what he's saying. <laughs> mind your own business. He's saying, you know what's right. You have the same parents. We raise you the same way. God's pulling him aside and saying, you know what's right. Don't worry about your brother. Just worry about yourself. And I love all the parents in the room. They're like, I said it this morning on the way to church. Like, we know, right? And so, unfortunately, though, just like oftentimes our kids, they don't, they don't listen. Cain didn't listen. He says, if you don't listen, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, 
but you must rule over it. He wants him to listen because Cain is fixated on somebody else. And as long as he's fixated on somebody else, it's going to draw him away from the blessings God has for him. See, that's why we tell our kids that. Because as long as they're focused on their sibling, they're not focused on their own behavior. And we want them to be good for themselves, not, you know, getting caught up in what's going on with their siblings. The same was true here. Unfortunately, Cain has become so fixated on his brother. He's become so focused that he's actually not unlike his earthly parents, Adam and Eve. When they first got the glimpse, not first, but when they finally locked eyes with the serpent and that fruit, they could not take their eyes off of it. And there was no anything that was going to get in their way of taking a bite of the fruit. Cain wasn't going to listen to God. He wasn't listening to a word God was saying to him. And we can see that in how quickly verse 8 progresses to what happens next. When I read this, it's kind of like, I think to myself, it's like, it's like the Peanuts um, cartoons. Remember uh, the, the video version of the Peanuts cartoons? Whenever there was a teacher talking or whenever there was a parent talking, they had the same voice, right? Remember what it was like? <laughs> and as a kid, you knew that, right? You knew the reason why was because on some level, sometimes kids are kind of thinking over here while they're trying to, while the parents or the teacher are trying to say something important. But sometimes you just know all your kids are hearing is, <laughs> are we done yet? And that's what Cain was thinking, because the very next verse says this. It says, now Cain said to his brother Abel, it's not like, okay, he listened to God, he went up on a mountain, he prayed for 40 days to think about what he was told. None of that happened. Verse 8, Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And you have the first human murder in recorded human history, and it wasn't even an accident. <laughs> like, it wasn't an accident. And it wasn't a fit of rage and, and passion, right? Like, I think about my kids, right? I got four kids in my house. And it just is par for the course. When you live that closely with someone, you're going to fight. And every once in a while, not every once in a while, they fight more than every once in a while, right? But it happens that every once in a while it goes a little too far, right? And they do something, maybe one of them hurts the other person, and later on they feel remorseful and say, they know it got into me, it was a fit of passion. I want to point out that that's not what happened here. This was not an accident, and it wasn't a fit of passion that later on it was like, oh, I can't believe I did that. This was premeditated murder, and it was premeditated while God was speaking to Cain. While God was saying, you need to be careful, be careful, mind your own business, do what is right. While God was saying that, all Cain could hear was, how am I going to kill my brother? And then he turned around in the very next verse, and it's exactly what he did. He killed his brother. He couldn't resist because he couldn't take his eyes off of somebody else. Friends, envy has the potential to do the same thing to you. It has the potential to murder relationships in your life and destroy your own life as well. Proverbs 14.30 says this, A heart of peace gives life to the body. We all want peace, right? But envy rots the bones. I told you, there's not just the root of envy, there's also the curse of envy. And it's laid out right there in Proverbs. It's also laid out right there where what God says to Cain next. He confronts Cain, verse 9. And the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? And of course, we all remember this response. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? <laughs> 
Like, like we know that, right? It's the wrong answer. It's a lie. It's like, what's going on here? The Lord says, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse, and you've been driven from the ground, which opened up its mouth to receive your brother's blood from my hand. When you work the ground, it no longer yields its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. The curse of evil. The curse of envy. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Now, that's the curse of envy. And yet, even after that, we see, if you go through the rest of chapter 4, that God is still a God of mercy. Cain says, this is way too hard for me, way too harsh a punishment. Someone's going to kill me. And so God puts a mark on Cain, making sure that nobody kills him for the rest of his days. And not only does that not happen, but he goes on, he has children with his wife, so he gets to be a father. He builds a city. He ends up living out the rest of the days of his life. But I can tell you, because of the curse of envy, his entire time in his life, he's restless. As a husband, as a father, as a builder of a city, in all of the things he's doing, he will be restless, slowly rotting away at the bones, because that's what envy does. It rots our bones, and it robs us of our peace. It rots our bones and it robs us of our peace. It doesn't mean that we can't continue to live life, but envy gets under the skin of every part of our life. And if you don't believe me, think back on a decision you made out of envy. And maybe, maybe you need to think because maybe you didn't even know that that's what it was that was motivating you. So, so just think back. Like, let's say, for example, maybe, maybe you drove a perfectly good car and you couldn't afford a new one and that was okay. Your car was fine, great, reliable transportation until your neighbor got a brand new car. <laughs> And when your neighbor got that brand new car, suddenly your car isn't running quite as smoothly as it was before they got a car. And you swear that they take it out of the driveway and they're washing it by hand every time you leave the front door. Like they're rubbing it in. And so, of course, eventually what happens is you go over to the dealership and you can't afford it, but you buy one anyway. And you love that new car for like a week or two. And then those, those, those payments start to sink in. And you think to yourself, what, couldn't I just have been happy with what I had? And see, so you move on because you're in this commitment. You got to do what you got to do. But it robs us of our peace. And now you don't have what you had before and you can't enjoy what you have right now. You see how that works? Same thing happens in relationships. Those of us who are married, we see other couples, right? We get this idea from the outside impression of their relationship that they have so much joy and so much passion and so much love and so much romance, like walking around Hallmark Christmas movies all year long, posting pictures on Instagram and Facebook. And you swear they're putting those up there just to make you feel worse about your relationship. Parents interject that. Maybe it's about other people whose kids look like they're more well-behaved, they're happier, they're doing more fun things. And you see all of this and you start to the thing, well, my marriage isn't going that well. Well, my kids aren't going that well. Never mind that before you saw the picture, you weren't even thinking about your marriage until you saw that one. You haven't been investing in your marriage. You've been taking it for granted, and now you're angry that it doesn't even look like this other person's, even though you don't even know if what's on the outside that you're seeing is any kind of reflection of what's actually going on in real life. Do you see what envy does? You see where this goes? 
It takes us deeper and deeper and deeper. And the both examples, any of the examples that you can think of, the best thing you can do is to just listen to God's advice at the very beginning. What Cain was told, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Mind your own business. Start with what God has given you. Make a good offering. And if you're thinking back on an example of something you've done out of envy, there's grace. You've already made bad choices because of envy. It's not too late to do the right thing. God gave Cain another chance. He gave him another chance and another chance. And he will give you and I another chance too. Not just because the alternative is going to murder our relationships, but it also kills you, rots our bones, and robs us of our peace, leaving us wandering. Because see, the truth is, for all of our days in life, doesn't matter who you are, <laughs> there is always going to be someone around you that looks on the outside like they have it better than you do. There's always going to be somebody else who's driving a nicer, newer car. There's always going to be somebody else that looks like they have a better marriage or better kids. There's always going to be somebody else that roots for a better football team that has actually won a Super Bowl at least once since 1985. I'm not bitter. But there are also people who have it worse. I mean, think about the people that root for the Minnesota Vikings, right? <laughs> I warned the Vikings fans that I saw coming in. I said, I'm sorry ahead of time. <laughs> so what's the alternative? What's the alternative to envy? We all know it's bad. We, you know, I mean, you can feel it, right? My gut feels a little heavy right now just thinking about it. We know this is how it affects us. How do we overcome it? There's actually, it sounds cliche even. It's so simple, but it's biblical. The alternative is love. It's love. And I'm not making this up. And I'm not even stretching this from a different part of the Bible. 1 John 3, listen to this. John says, For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. You've heard that many times, right? But here's the context. Don't be like Cain. He's like, I read that story, and here's what I'm going to tell you based on the gospel of Jesus. We should love one another. Don't be like Cain. He belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. He was envious. Don't be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. You know why you're a murderer, and I've shared this before. Jesus said, if you hate your brother, it's like murder, because it murders the relationship. If you hate that person, they may as well be dead because you don't have a relationship with them. The anecdote is love. The antidote to envy is love. And how does this look in real life? It means you actually get to know your neighbor. <laughs> you actually spend time building relationship with your neighbor so that when your neighbor pulls into their driveway with a brand new shiny car, you know how you handle that? You walk over to their house and you say, let me see your new car. And you're so happy for them. And you look at the car. Maybe you take a little test drive, right? I remember this. When I was 16, my, my parents had bought me my first car as a Jeep. And my friend Scott, who I grew up with, he got a Jeep, too, when he was 16. And so you know what we did? We weren't envious of each other's Jeeps. We picked each other up, and we took a ride around the block. Well, we took his out in the back. 40 and got it stuck because his was like one of those lifted Jeeps. But you know what I'm saying? And we weren't envious of each other because we were friends, 
And that's what friends do. When you love someone, you want what's best for them. If you see a picture of someone's marriage and it looks like the marriage is going well, you click the little heart button. You make a little comment on that photo. You say, I'm so happy for you. I'm so happy for the relationship that you got to spend time together. And just like John says, there are going to be people who are going to hate you if that's the way you are. They're going to think you're an eternal optimist. They're going to look at you. They're going to say, what's wrong with you? Because that's not the way most of the world works. Most of the world, especially Americans and American Christians who live here, we're desperately, we're not trying to keep up with the Joneses. You've heard that before. That's not true anymore. We want to pass the Joneses. We want to beat the Joneses. We want the Joneses to eat our dust. And so when you stop running that rat race, what you'll find is you'll find a peace that comes from God. It's the peace that's talked about in the book of Proverbs. Your rotting, rotting bones will begin to heal, and people are going to look at you, and they're going to wonder what's wrong with you. And I can think of examples of this in my own life. Alyssa, my wife and I, when, when um, we moved to Elkhorn, this was five or so years ago, we sold our last house, and we bought a house here, and, and the house we bought here was smaller than the house that we had sold where we lived before, and it was less expensive as well because that's what we could afford. It was the right decision and all of those things, and it's not like we live in a really tiny house, but it was smaller than what we had before, and there were several people who came up to us in the midst of that and said, why are you doing that? When you buy a new house, you always go bigger. <laughs> like, that's just what you do. You buy a bigger house, and, and I would be lying to you if I got up here and said, but we were righteous, and we knew what was right, and blah, 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 but I'm just going to be really brutally honest with you that there have been many a times over the last five years where we've looked back on that decision. I'll just speak for myself. I've looked back on that decision and wished that we bought a bigger house. Now, sometimes it's because I have a child hanging off my leg, and I just want to get some alone time, but I'll tell you as I was thinking about this, more often than that, the reason why I come to that frame of mind is because I catch a glimpse of somebody in my life who has a bigger house. And you know what happens then is then I see their house and I think, well, they don't have as many kids as we have. <laughs> or why don't we have a house like that? And my brain starts going to that place. And it's not the place to make decisions in your life. It's not a healthy place. It's not a happy place. But when you peel back the envy, what ends up happening is it allows a peace that goes beyond understanding that tells your heart that when it's time to buy a bigger house or it's time to buy a new car or it's time to work on your relationship, it's not going to be out of a motivation that you're just trying to get what somebody else has. It's going to be out of love. Love for God, love for others, and even, dare I say, love for yourself. And you think, well, that's, that's not biblical. It is biblical. Jesus said this in, in Mark chapter uh, 12, I think it is. Yep, Mark 12. He said, love the Lord your God. You've heard this, right? With all your heart, your soul, your mind, and with all your strength, the second commandment looks just like it. Love your neighbor. Say this part with me. As yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. We don't like to talk about that. Even in the church, we're like, no, no, no. Love God, love others, and throw yourself under the bus. No. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than this. The reason you can tell your neighbor that you're happy for them is because if you were in their shoes, you'd be happy for you. And the start of that is to be happy with what you have. 
to build into your life moments where you thank God and you express to others your gratitude for what you have in your circumstances, no matter what they look like compared to somebody else. And maybe the most important reason to do that is because at the end of the day, you don't know what God's plan is for you. You don't know why God has you in this particular moment for this particular season at this particular time. You don't know how God is working in the circumstances of your unique life. And I told you I was going to end with a, with a clip, another clip from somebody who's playing in the Super Bowl. And, and that's what I want to lead into here right now. Um, this, this guy, his name is Stefan. I, I totally botched his name at the last service. It starts with a W. Rick in the back knows. How do you say his last name? Wisniewski. Stefan Wisniewski. Stefan Wisniewski is playing in today's Super Bowl. He is an offensive lineman for the Kansas City Chiefs. I can only imagine how excited he is as he's preparing for the big game. And yet back less than a year ago, it was March of 2019, Stefan was devastated because he was cut from the team that he had been playing with for several years before. Now, Stefan, this is not his first rodeo in the Super Bowl. He went back in 2018, he went to the Super Bowl. He played for the Philadelphia Eagles. And he, and he was at the Super Bowl that year on February 4th. And so when he was released, he was, he was, very, it was very clear. He, he didn't feel good about it. He's in his 30s, and so that, that kind of season in life in football, you don't know if you're going to get picked up again. And here's what he wrote on the day that he got dropped, March 12th, 2019. He said, I'm no longer an eagle. Thanks to all my teammates, especially the offensive line and the Bible study guys, it was truly a special group. I'll cherish my memories from our Super Bowl season as long as I live. And thanks to the city of Philly, whose passion and gratitude are the reason why that championship was so special. I am sad to be leaving, but I trust that God is calling me elsewhere for a reason. And I am excited for that opportunity. Now, he said that in March of 2019, and it would take until October of 2019 for him to be picked up by the Kansas City Chiefs. And little did he know that by being picked up by that team, today he would be playing again in the Super Bowl. And here's what he had to say about that and about what God has been teaching him in this moment of waiting. Let's watch. Can you share a little bit about what the Lord's been doing this year in you? Yeah, I mean, it, uh, it was really humbling, you know, being fired, being on the couch, and really think God was testing me and, and trying to teach me humility just to depend on him that um, at the end of the day, like, my football success is, is only because God has given it to me. Um, I love Job 121. Job said, naked I came into this world, naked I will depart. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Like, I came into this world with nothing. I'm going to leave this world with nothing. Everything I have while I'm here is a gift from God. And um, when it's taken away from you is when you remember that. Uh, I think we can, we can start to think it's us when things are going well for a while. And uh, I think that's why God needs to give us trials like that to help us remember it's all from him. Uh, from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever, right? Romans 11:36 And... Um, at the end of the day, it's, it's been amazing to see that uh, God, he can do whatever he wants. Um, and we forget that sometimes, right, while we're waiting. Right now, right? Yeah, <laughs> while we're waiting, we're like, oh, God, like, what are you doing? But he can do whatever he wants. He's all-powerful. And uh, at the end of the day, it's our job to just humble ourselves before him, follow him, obey him, and uh, wait for his timing. His timing's always perfect. Last or two years ago, we talked to you at PAO. We talked to you right after you won the Super Bowl. We yeah. saw 
that you recognize the platform that God had given you when the Eagles won and that prayer circle after the game and all that. Have you thought about that? Obviously, you got a game to play, but do you, you, you've been through this knowing the platform that God has given you. You're very aware, aren't you? Oh, absolutely. And um, I think that's why I'm here is, you know, God knew that if I had this platform, I would use it for his glory. And I'm, I'm really excited about that and been sharing my faith a million times tonight um, because this is God's story. It's not my story. It's not about me. Um, I'm just an extra in the movie that is God's story. And uh, I'm blessed to be an extra, you know. Um, but it's it's been a blast. And I, I can't wait to see what, what God does, you know, through through me and, and through the other Christians playing in this game. Last one for me. What's this culture been like to come into? It seems like it's got a really faith-based driven culture, a lot like the Eagles. I mean, your owner is standing on the stage taking the trophy of his dad's name, but making sure he's praising the name above all names. So something's going on within the Chiefs yeah. that feels very similar to what was happening with the Eagles a couple years ago. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of Christians in the organization. And uh, when it starts at the top, that's pretty powerful with the owner. Um, and he kind of sets sets it from there. But there's definitely players following Jesus on the team, too. And it's um, it's been fun to get to know some of those guys and try to share with them and encourage them. But um, at the end of the day, you know, when the confetti's falling, I, I just hope it's Jesus that gets the glory. Yeah. Amen. Best of luck on Sunday. Thank you. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you. Thank you for the example of these men and the many others that didn't have the privilege of sharing with us their testimony of faith, who are going to be out on that field today. God, we thank you for your word and the way it us in the moments when we have allowed envy to grab hold of our hearts. But Lord Jesus, as, as I was praying just a, a second ago, and I was just continuing to think about this, and, and this message that you've given us through Cain and Abel and, and through the rest of your word, God, I, I couldn't help but also think that, that when we're not envious, <laughs> there's also nothing wrong with telling God when we're hurting. <laughs> Envy makes the things in our life that have not yet come to fruition, the things that we long for, the hurts and the pains worse. But you are a God who's with us. You sit with us in the midst of whatever it is that we're facing while we wait for you to come. On the night that you were betrayed, Jesus, you, you didn't allow envy to take hold of what was already what felt like an insurmountable circumstance. It was this guy Barabbas that was given freedom and you weren't and you didn't pray in the garden that night and say, I wish I was Barabbas. But you were also honest before the Father. And so we come before you, God. We, we repent of and confess the moments that we have been motivated to, to, to one-up somebody or because of what somebody has that we don't have, God. We don't want to be controlled by that. But God, we do want to be controlled by your presence and your grace and your love. We want to believe and we want to have faith just like the story of Stefan, that you have a good plan and purpose for our life, even if we can't see it in the circumstances we're facing right now. And even if it isn't going to come together in, in just a few months or even a few years, because we know, God, that you have all of eternity to do this good work in us. 
that our purpose draws us toward you to be with you forever. And that's what this meal reminds us of today. As we open our eyes, we remember what you did, Jesus, with the disciples as you took bread and you broke it. And you said, take and eat. This is my body broken for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you eat this, remember me. After the supper, you took the cup of blessing, gave thanks and gave it for all to drink, saying, take and drink this cup. It's the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink this, remember me. For as often as we eat from this bread and drink from this cup, we are reminded that God is with us. And if God is for us, then who can be against us? If you believe that to be true, no matter what your background, no matter where you're at, where you're going, I want to encourage you to confess to God right now. Release whatever it is that you came into this place holding on to so that you can receive his blessings. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And so as we open up our hands, we surrender to you, God. We receive the gift of salvation and we pray the way that Jesus has taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. As the ushers come forward to dismiss you by row, come. Come to the table.